the Bible. It's the Word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword. This sacred book is living and active and contains all that's needed for life and godliness. Stay with American Family Radio for the next hour as we study God's Word and take your Bible questions. Welcome to Exploring the Word. Back to Exploring the Word, Bert Harper, Alex McFarland, the American Family Radio Network, and we continue to come to you live from the National Religious Broadcasters Convention in Florida. And what an exciting day it is. And Bert, I'm going to say this. I feel the Spirit of God moving here. Coming through the lobby, you know, I've had responsibilities today. I know you have. I've seen little prayer huddles. You know, I've seen very special people. This morning I was talking to Barry McGuire, who was with us yesterday, and he put his arm around me and he said, I just love you guys. He said, one of the highlights of my year is getting to be with you and Bert again. And so many wonderful Christian leaders. Folks, please do uh, be in prayer that the Lord would move. And as we strategize about fulfilling the Great Commission, we do have two wonderful Christian leaders that you'll meet in the context of this show. But um, how's your day going, Bert, it's here at good. NRB? You know, uh, I enjoy coming to NRB. It's one of the highlights of my year as well. And uh, I, I do Exploring the Word, as you know, and I love it. But the other program that I do on the weekend is Exploring Missions. Uh, I tell folks I had, you know, after the Lord Jesus Christ, he gave me three just honorable loves and that's family. So Amen. my wife and I could do family conferences and also encourage pastors and their wives and their family. And also, I love the Word of God, Just and I get to do that on Exploring the Word. The other thing is missions and evangelism, and I get to do that program, Exploring Missions, on the weekend with my oldest son, Nathan. And so I've been interviewing a lot of people. For those folks that listen to Exploring Missions, I want to tell you, the next two months, you're going to hear some interviews that will bless you beyond measure. And I've been doing that and meeting people. And I agree with you, Alex. Uh, there's, there's a good spirit here Amen. that I, I sense and I, I thank God for. Amen, indeed. And listen, we've got a message, and we've got a mission, and we've got a reason to be involved, every single one. And, you know, in Matthew chapter 5, the Lord said that we are the salt of the earth, and we are to season this world with the truth of God's Word. We're not to lose our saltiness. We're, we're to be that light, yeah. not put under a bushel. In, and every, in all Areas in mean, all areas, yeah, in all uh, areas beyond that the four walls yeah. of the church, exactly, yeah. exactly. And you know, um, Terry Hasdorf, I had the privilege of being on her program some weeks ago. She's the author of a book, Running Into the Fire Why More Christians Need to Be Involved in Politics. Now, please don't tune this out. And if you are saying to yourself, well, you know, uh, I serve the Lord, and the world is waxing worse and worse. Look, we are to be salt and light, and we've talked about this a lot, but Terry is with us in person. Terry Hasdorf, I want to say thanks for being with us on the program, but even larger than that, thank you for what you're doing to empower, encourage, and mobilize Christians. Thank you so much, Alex. It's an honor to be with you today. Um, is this your first time on the American Family Radio Network? It is. Well, welcome. Welcome. We'd <laughs> say thank you for coming. I'm very, very pleased to be here. Well, uh, 
You have a 202 area code. Mm -hmm. So am I to assume that you live in our nation's capital? (laughs) I do. I have a home in the Northern Virginia area and a D.C. cell phone. Okay. Well, and and they let you out every once in a while, (laughs) right? Yes, they do. (laughs) Okay. Well, I tell folks down here in Florida, you know, they have a lot of swamp area. Mm -hmm. And I've talked to a lot of people (laughs) from D.C. And I ask them which swamp they like the best, and they prefer Florida swamp. (laughs) Oh, wow, wow. Ooh, is that not There's uh, probably uh, far less alligators and snakes. (laughs) Okay, okay. Uh, Probably traversing a Florida swamp would be safer. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So um, give us a little bit of your background. And, again, your book is on Amazon, Running Into the Fire. We've got a, another friend. Do you, do you know the name Neil Mammon? Yes, I do. I know uh, him well. Yes, I've known Neil for a decade plus, and he talks about Christians being involved in politics. Mm. So um, give us a little bit of your background. Sure. Well, I actually went to Russia on an exchange program when I was in high school, and I saw firsthand what communism and socialism do to people. And so part of what I'm so disturbed by right now is the rise in socialism here in this country. Our country, you know, is literally it's on our doorstep, and we're facing really a a deciding point of which direction we're going to go in. And, um, you know, Pew Research says that about 67 percent of Americans identify as Christians. And yet um, it's been uh, studied that about 41% of evangelical Christians are not even registered to vote. So, you know, my background, I uh, I grew up in Alabama. I've uh, been in politics since I was a kid, worked on several different campaigns at every level, all the way up from the presidential down to running an agriculture commissioner race in my home state. And uh, worked on Capitol Hill for about six years and then um, came back to my home state of Alabama and ran for Congress in 2020. And I didn't win, but I learned a lot. (laughs) And I knew I was supposed to run. I prayed about it. And, you know, so in my mind, it was still a win because I was obedient. Amen. But well, that, a lot of people say good. a lot of people say you learn more by losing than you do by winning. Yes, so it do. sounds like you did win a lot. <laughs> let me let me get this in here for those that are listening and they say this is not Bible study. Let me just share this with you. We're called on to be good stewards of everything that God has given us, and I use this quite often because I I work with people who are on that level, and they say, okay, it's we're about the gospel. We are about the gospel, and that is first and foremost. But the Bible says we're to be stewards of all the things that God given us. The last time I looked at the Constitution, it says we the people. That's right. And that includes us. And us not being involved in those areas because it's uncomfortable, because it's difficult, because we're going to be called names, mm. does not diminish our responsibility. So hang in there, Terry. Well, Bert, you just said it. You're right on. I mean, I tell you, you know, we're called to be salt and light. We're called to seek the welfare of the city that we're in. We are called to rule and reign. And yet so many times Christians have pulled away from the political arena. Um, The reason I named the book Running Into the Fire is because I was talking with a friend of mine who also ran for Congress about the same time I did. And I asked him, why do you think Christians shy away from being involved in politics? And he said, because they're afraid of it. They think of it as being dirty and corrupt. And I said, you're absolutely right. He said, but you know what they really need to be doing is thinking of it more like people who are firefighters because they're trained to overcome their fears. And instead of running away from the burning building, they run right into it. And, you know, as Christians, we're called to walk in faith, not fear. So if God calls you to that arena, he equips you to do it. And that's part of what this book is about is helping equip people with more knowledge about how they can make a difference and to give them hope that you really can get involved and make a difference. Do you feel like, Terry, that the, the Christian's absence 
from the public square, or maybe the the silence of the pulpits not preaching on the moral political issues has has the absence of the, the voice of Christians created an opportunity for the forces of darkness? Well, I think, you know, absolutely. Anytime Christians are not involved, there's going to be a void, and uh, somebody else is going to fill that spot. It may not be somebody who shares your values. Uh, it, it, it's often a time where... Um, you know, I think we just have to stop and think, okay, if, if I don't like what I see happening around me, it's our job to change it. Nobody, yeah. nobody else is – God has empowered us and given us the authority to do that. And I love the Gettysburg Address where Lincoln says that government of the people, by the people, mm-hmm. and for the people will not disappear from the face of the earth. Right. And we've got to remember – well, I think about the um, – the cryptic words of Benjamin Franklin leaving the Constitutional Convention, and a woman said, sir, what kind of government do we have? He said, a republic, if you can keep it. Right. Amen. Speak, speak to that, if you would. Um, my, my, we have a mutual friend. He's been on the program, Eric Metaxas. Yes. And he talks about the fact that it is our obligation and interest to do what we can do to keep this representative Judeo-Christian Republic. So what did Franklin mean, in your opinion, Terry, when he said, you know, if you can keep it? Mm. Well, you know, I love I love Eric's book, The Letter to the American Church, because yeah. I think we're really in a, in a time where it's very similar to a lot of what's happened throughout history. Um, you know, we are blessed with freedoms that are just incredible. When I went to Russia, part of what just disturbed me so deeply was because, you know, you walk around, people don't smile. There's a hopelessness and an oppression that I saw there. And it was because they really were trapped. A lot of them, I think, felt like they couldn't do anything to change what they saw happening around them. We are so blessed in this country to have the ability to make change. And if we want to, you know, get involved and run for office or or support those that do, we still can. And we Mm -hmm. have the ability to speak out. Um, Metaxas, in his book, Letter to the American Church, talks about the spiral of silence. And how if you keep silent, the price continues to go up for those that do speak out. And the more that, you know, we stay silent, the harder it will be to eventually speak up. And what we do, we withdraw. I've got the big ease that Americans, Christians, have withdrawn from in America. uh, Let me give you the list. Elections, entertainment, education, economics. And when I say economics, I mean big business. Mm -hmm. Look what's happening to big business. They Mm -hmm. have been overrun by the woke community beyond anything, especially those that are, are, are part of the, the information and those that are hiring. And, and so here it's elections. Mm-hmm. Not to be involved is, I, I think it's a shortcoming in their sight in every way. Mm-hmm. And we're talking about pastors preaching. Uh, I tell folks all the time, if you'll just preach through the book of 1 Corinthians and not leave anything out, you'll hit the issues of the day. And if you have a biblical worldview, you will state that. You can't help but state that, what marriage is, what what your identity is. And, and Alex and I have talked about this too, Terry, and that's the identity crisis. The whole idea is identity crisis, male or female. You know, what are you? You don't even know what gender you are. But Christians have had that identity crisis for quite a while. Mm-hmm. Am I going to come out from among them and be separate from, from the world? So our identity needs to be stated in the elections, don't they? 
Well, absolutely. And, you know, you mentioned the election integrity issue. I think that's something that's on a lot of people's minds. And one of the things that I've been telling folks is, you know, right now, if you're concerned about that, this is the time to get to know your county election officials. And think about being a poll watcher. Think about being a, being a poll worker. Uh, there's trainings that are going to start being held in the summer and the fall to participate in that process. And guess what? This November is a perfect pregame show for the Super Bowl that's coming up next year of elections, which is the presidential election. And this is a great time to practice. So get involved in those things. There's a desperate need for more for good people to be in those types of processes. Folks, if you're just tuning in, we're talking with Terry Hasdorf. She's the author of Running Into the Fire, Why More Christians Need to Be Involved in Politics. I know it's available everywhere books are sold. And your website is at godovergovernment.com. That's it. Godovergovernment.com. Can you hang oh, on? What a me? unique idea. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Stay with us. We're going to come back, folks. This is Exploring the Word. Bert and Alex coming to you live from National Religious Broadcasters. We've got so much more after this. Don't go away. Salvation Army Band is playing this hymn And your grace rings out so deep It makes my resistance seem so thin So hold me Jesus Cause I'm shaking like a leaf You have been king of my glory Won't you be my prince of peace Amen, this is Exploring the Word on the American Family Radio Network. We're in Orlando, Florida, Central Florida. Have you noticed that's kind of how they advertise it here, Central Florida, because you got Tampa over there and you go you go east sure. and it's Daytona Beach and others. And so Miami is way, Miami south. Is way south and then Jacksonville's north, Tallahatchie's north. But Central Florida right here, it's a populated area beyond measure. And we're glad to be here with an National Religious Broadcasters Meeting. It's always good to be. I enjoy coming to these, oh, don't I, you? I really do, too. And, you know, we've seen Erwin Lutzer and Eric Metaxas and Dennis Prager yeah, is downstairs sure broadcasting and just a lot of great people. And so, folks, you know, we, we have an opportunity. We really do. And I know that the primary calling of the body of believers is to evangelize the lost. But, but we need the freedom to do that we do. effectively. Let me make this observation, and Terry, you're new, so I can use old stuff with you. That's, <laughs> okay. I'm so excited to have new people on. But, you know, after World War II, America just evangelism went wild. Mm-hmm. I mean, mission effort was going wild. We sent more missionaries than ever before. Mm-hmm. China, guess what? The church grew under persecution. Mm. It grew beyond measure because of the seed that were planted by the missionaries who were there before the communists took over and checked them out. But guess what America did that China did not do? Hmm. Send missionaries. Wow. And so one of the reason I believe that America needs to be strong, I, yes, I want it for my children and my grandchildren. I do. But listen, America has sent more missionaries than any country ever. Yeah. And we're still sending missionaries. Mm. And so, yes, so we get into the what? The political arena so that th- we can fulfill, help fulfill the Great Commission. That's not contrary to the Great Commission, Alex. No. I mean, you, you can do evangelism anywhere. I mean, if we were all chained to the wall of a cell, 
in a Marxist gulag, we could say, believe in Jesus. But missions, to launch missions, requires resources, freedom, and it's all in the interest of every Christian to preserve our free, safe, stable nation. Terry Hasdorf is our guest, her website, godovergovernment.com. And the book is Running Into the Fire, Why More Christians Need to Be Involved in Politics. Uh, I, I want to ask you, when you were on Capitol Hill for, well, like six years plus, what did you do in, in D.C. then? Well, I had the honor of working with uh, a member of Congress who was uh, one of the main leaders on the charitable choice language, which is the language that put the faith-based initiative into law. Mm-hmm. And I also worked for Congressman Robert Adderholt from my home state of Alabama yeah, yeah, yeah. and was in a leadership office. I was deputy director of the House Republican Conference under J.C. Watts from Oklahoma. So Wonderful. had a really good opportunity to see a lot of things with those jobs. But the most interesting one that I had was I worked for the chief administrative officer for the U.S. House of Representatives. Mm-hmm. And my boss had been brought in to basically do some swamp draining before swamp draining was cool. (laughs) (laughs) Well said. Well said. So we we cleaned up a lot of things and brought a lot of reforms to the processes of the House of Representatives. And the U.S. House to date has saved over $4.4 billion based off of some of the things that we that we made changes to. That's that's awesome. That's something to put on a resume. (laughs) Speaking of this, running into the fire, I want to bring us up to date. This is May the 24th, and we found out Someone else has entered the fire. Ron DeSantis has announced that he's running. And so, you know, right up now, he's just had a little criticism from some. But what's going to happen now? You've exp- After you decide to run to the fire, that's the name of your book, Running Into mm-hmm. the Fire. Mm-hmm. When you start thinking about running into the fire, what can you expect to happen? Well, you know, as, as somebody who's personally been a candidate, I can just tell you it is one of the most amazing, exhausting, exhilarating experiences you can ever All of it at the same time? <laughs> yeah, all at the same time. So, you know, we have um, quite a few months between now and the presidential election, and it's going to be quite a, a race for stamina, if, if nothing else. Um, but it's going to be very interesting to see how this all comes but out. But it does come, uh, if you enter, expect the fire. Is that you know, not always. It just depends. I mean, I think, you know, every race is very different, but and every candidate's very different. But yes, for a presidential candidate, I think you're always going to have to be in the middle of something. You mean in South Alabama. It wasn't quite that bad. <laughs> no, it wasn't quite well, the that same. that is great. I'm glad. <laughs> so so let me ask you this, uh, Terry, as, as a candidate yourself, and you've worked with uh, leaders, you know, I look at the Biden-Harris ticket, and I'm thinking, that is a tough sell. I mean, they used to say that Hillary Clinton was not well-liked and that, that she didn't have the electability factor. But I think um, Biden and Harris appear even worse so. And, uh, you know, I've got to believe behind closed doors there have to be conversations going on about, you know, speaking of stamina, President Biden. And speaking of knowledge of the issues and to be cogent, and I mean, behind closed doors, they've got to be thinking, how are we going to sell this to the American people? What, what do you think about, regardless of who the Republican nominee is, just electability, you know, apples versus oranges, do you feel like the conservatives, the Republicans, have an advantage in the upcoming 24 
election cycle? Well, you know, I think one thing that we can all agree on, whether we're Republicans or Democrats, is we all want to see good government in place. And we want to have leaders who can lead effectively and who represent our values. And so, you know, (laughs) looking at at the current lineup, I would say that for most conservative uh, Christian listeners, you know, the Biden-Harris team uh, has not uh, aligned with uh, many views and values of the Christian faith. So sure. that's definitely something that I think a lot of people are you ready know, for a change. Yeah. When you look at the Republicans that have announced Tim Scott, just, I, I mean, I love that guy. I've heard him speak. I've seen him, uh, observed him from a distance, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, now Governor DeSantis, uh, we got to hear him uh, Monday night here at the NRB and right. just laid out his credentials so well and what he's done. So there, there, and President Trump has a track record of what he has done. Mm-hmm. So there is good choices there. And, uh, but what, what a Christian does, what is the main thing? And both of you, I'm asking this, I'll interview you on okay, this one okay. because you're the commentator, uh, of concerning public policy and things like that, Alex. As a Christian looks at that, what are the top things you're looking for in a in a candidate, whether they're running for a local office, a state office, or a, a federal office, representative, or senator, or president? What what are what are the key issues you're looking for? Well, let me forgive me for jumping in ahead of you, Terry, but um, here here are things I look for: conviction rather than uh, just I'm going to go whatever way the wind blows. Uh, you know, I mean, core, unshakable convictions. That's what I want. And obviously knowledge of the Constitution. I would submit this perhaps another show for another day that the vast majority of elected officials or candidates don't actually know how a representative constitutional republic works. Mm-hmm. But um, back to what I said first, I want your opinion, not just ideology but conviction uh to quote thomas jefferson we hold these truths to be undeniable self-evident that all are endowed by their creator that's god with certain inalienable rights the right to life liberty the pursuit of happiness terry when i read the declaration that's a document not of the mood of the moment But these are timeless convictions, aren't they? They absolutely are. And I think, you know, one of the most important things you have to weigh out when you're looking at a candidate, you have to treat it like a job interview. You can't just think about the election two days before you're going to vote. And, um, you know, one of the areas that we fall short a lot of times is not looking at the policy. You can love the personality of someone, but at the end of the day, I need to know that they're going to align with what I have views on for the policy decisions that they're making. Because it's not just the leader that you're electing, it's all that personnel that's going to come in with them. And many times the people who serve in that administration have even more power in some cases than even the person at the top because they're making the decisions that affect our everyday lives. So you really have to look at it from the top to bottom, pray about it. Let me give you an example. I've been around a while. Jimmy Carter, years ago, uh, ran for president, and a born-again believer. And I remember Henry Jackson from uh, Washington State said, what does he do, wear his religion on his cuff, you know? And Jimmy Carter came in, man, looking like uh, someone doing 
But look who, and it goes back to what you just said, who surrounded him. Yes. Who was in those positions that made all those decisions that were very harmful mm-hmm. to, to our nation as well as Christians. And so you do think of that. You look at that, who they're associated with. And AFR, AF, American Family Association, uh, we have a voter guide that we have, I, you yes. know, that helps people to know. And right now it's being expanded to all the states so people can go to that and they can find out where they stand and where they have stood and also kind of who's supporting them uh, and why they're pushing them as the candidate. So yes. information, the information is there today, isn't it? It's, it's there, and, you know, doing your homework on a candidate is so important. You have to really get to know each one and think about, okay, what is this person not only saying, but look at where they're taking money from. That's a really key <laughs> indicator as well. Yeah, follow the money. Well, uh, your book, Running Into the Fire, what will people learn from your book, Terry? Well, first of all, I, wanted, I wrote it to help people have hope because I think so many people today have just really kind of, you know, gotten overwhelmed by politics or given up and thought, what can I as just one person do? And so uh, there's a lot of things you can do. There's one section where you, and there's 20 things you can do starting today to get involved and make a difference politically. 20 things. 20 and things, and right? they're listed in your book? Yes, they wow. are. <laughs> okay. But, you know, it's practical advice. It's a call to action for the body of Christ um, because, you know, even if you're not called to run for office yourself, that doesn't mean you get a pass. You've got to support those who are called. We're in a, in a time right now where it's just too critical, and if you're stepping forward, you can't do it alone. Hmm. Uh, isn't it true with the... Uh, 80 to 100 million adult Christians, and that's what Barna says. Uh, Now, whether or not they have a fully orbed biblical worldview, but how many of the 300 million plus have had a born-again experience with Jesus? Uh, George Barna, and we've interviewed him, and and I I know him to a degree. He says probably 100 million. Uh, We could, if, if the body of Christ, who not only loved the Lord but loved this country, care about the preservation of this country. I mean, any election we wanted to, mm-hmm. we constitutionalists could elect whomever if we would be involved. Would you agree? I would agree completely. And I'll, I'll also say this. Uh, I almost named this book Less Than 1% because that's the percentage of Americans who gave to political campaigns in the 2016 election cycle. And that may not sound significant to you unless you've ever been a candidate. And when you're, you know, honest and you're not willing to take money from people who may not, who may not align with your values, where do you go? Well, you have to go to friends and family who have like-mindedness and who have resources. And if they look at you and they say, oh, I'm sorry, I don't get involved in politics. I only give my money to nonprofits or charities or whatever. Where do you, you're left with, with no support. And yet, you know, politics is it's a marketing campaign when you run for office in many ways. It's like starting a small business. And you have to have startup costs taken care of. So it's really a critical time. If you find a candidate that you believe in, you have to get behind them and support them financially with your wallet, with your time, with your influence. So you're telling me that all those placards that they print are not free? The advertisement <laughs> on the radio and television is not free? No, it's not. So it's got to come from somewhere. That's right. And so what's happened in the last few years, a lot of the liberal people have really 
doled out the money. Mm -hmm. And as big business has become more and more woke, mm -hmm. uh, they have really started contributing more to the to the left mm -hmm. in many ways. And that's that's a pretty big task for us to overcome. Yeah, and it's not all about money. Money makes a huge difference. But, you know, look at that truck driver in New Jersey who won his office by just going door to door <laughs> and knocking on people's doors Amen. and telling them about what he was doing. Yeah. Um, you know, if you can even just go door to door for a candidate, that can sure. be huge. You know, I, I know two ladies in Colorado that they personally, they were at the inauguration of President Trump because they, two ladies, and they're, they're not professors or scholars, they just love this country, they knocked on 25,000 doors. <laughs> 25,000 doors. And um, I, this lady, I uh, was talking to her, she said, my phone rang one day and it was Donald Trump. Um, and he said, I've heard you, and he personally called to thank them, and they went to the inauguration. So politics, as Chuck Colson used to say, as uh, Pat Buchanan would say, politics is local and politics is grassroots up, isn't it? It absolutely is. You know, in my research for this book, I discovered there's just a little over 3,000 counties in America. Okay. Now, it can seem overwhelming to try and make a difference with politics on the national level, but I can make a difference in my county. And, you know, Amen. if you get to know those county officials and you figure out who it is that you need to start getting involved to help, that it all starts there. So all politics is local in a lot of ways. Now, let me make sure everyone who's listening, usually when you turn into exploring the word we're going through, First John or, or Mark, and we're at the National Religious Broadcasters uh, Convention here in Orlando, Florida, and we get to interview some people that are, are making a difference where they are. And you say, well, this doesn't make anything. Yes, it does. And I go back to my original statement. So I want to end with this as we're coming to the close to the end of this segment. Stewardship. Yes. It's the whole idea. And if you can understand stewardship from a biblical point of view, you will want to be involved in politics. That's right. <laughs> well, the website is godovergovernment.com. I would encourage you to look at this, godovergovernment.com. Terry Hasdorf, an author, speaker, consultant, author of the book, which I would urge you to get, Running Into the Fire. Terry, may God bless you, and thanks for being with us. Thank you so much, Alex. You as well. S stay tuned, folks. More on Exploring the Word. It's a new horizon, and I'm set on you, and you meet me here today, with mercies out of the world, yeah, my fears and doubts, they can all Welcome back to Exploring the Word. Alex and Bird here. So honored that you're listening. We are coming to you live from the National Religious Broadcasters Convention. And I'm very excited to bring to the mic uh, a friend that I met maybe a couple of years ago at one of these conferences. He's an author and a radio host himself. His name is Daniel Fazina. He's got a book called Divine Intervention. And his book has been endorsed by Pat Roberts and Lauren Green of Fox News. And I'm going to let uh, Daniel tell what this book is about. But, Bert, we often get the question, does God answer prayer today? Uh, is God still at work in the world today? And we believe he is. This book is unusual because they're, they're not only inspiring story, stories, but there's documentation. Yeah. You hear a lot of stories, and you say, is that really true? And you wonder about it. Uh, but as pastor for over 40 years— uh, I've been on the front line of answered prayer, 
of, of not just financial, not just emotional, but yes, medically. I've seen God do some great works. I've seen some things. So this book, uh, I, it's, it's exciting to find out about it that we can see. Look what a difference God makes because that's the whole idea, God making a difference in every area of our lives. Daniel, thank you for yes. being with us. Amen. Thank you, Bert. Thank you, Alex. It's a pleasure to be with you. Always great to speak with you. And Indeed. I'm just, uh, I'm just really happy to be here. Thanks for well, having me. Well, thank you. And um, before we go too far, the book, Divine Intervention, God at Work in the World Today, uh, website, where can people find this book? Uh, DivineInterventionRadio.com is my website, Divine Intervention Radio. You can find links to it there, also on Amazon.com and wherever books are sold. And what prompted you to write this, Daniel? Uh, well, it stemmed from my own experiences with miracles. You know, I, I had two pretty dramatic uh, healings in my life, one from a chronic back condition um, that I had for 10 years, chronic back pain. And, you know, I had chiropractic and physical therapy for a number of years and nothing was really working. And, and finally, I went to a men's retreat with some guys from my church. Um, and I had, uh, I was online to get prayed for and didn't even get to the front of the room yet, and God took the pain away. So um, it was just a, an atmosphere of healing. God's spirit was there, and, and he healed me. And this was 10 years later. So I had pain, chronic pain every day for 10 years, and God took it away instantly. And that was in 2001. And then in 2002, I was diagnosed with cancer. I had a massive tumor in my chest. Uh, it was lymphoma. Uh, the, the tumor was actually got larger than my heart. And doctors said I could oh, be dead Lord. within weeks to a few months. And uh, praise God, you know, through a series of circumstances and a lot of different things, um, you know, I'm still here today, 20 years later. And so when I came through those things and I went back to work at my television station job, I was sharing what I went through with my coworkers and how, you know, they were all incredulous about, you know, what had happened, how the tumor had disappeared and, and whatnot. And so I said, well, if you think – you know, what happened to me was amazing. You should hear about my friends' stories, you know, because I've had so many people who've experienced miracles because like, I've been a follower of Jesus since I'm very young, mm-hmm. and I knew a lot of people who've experienced things. So I started sharing about my friends, like, oh, I know one guy who was shot between the eyes at point-blank range. The bullet went in the bridge of his nose, somehow missed his brain, ended up in the back of his neck, and he made a full recovery. He's serving God now. And, and there's a story in your book, if I recall, of somebody that was shot like 23 times. 42 times, I think oh my it was. Word. Yeah, 49 millimeters and two shotgun blasts. Yeah, and, and he sir. survived. Yep. And his, his story is in there. His name is Derek Holmes. And the medical documentation from Cedar sinai Medical Center in Los Angeles is also published in the back of the book. Um, yeah, that, that's why I really um, – it really is my joy. You, you graciously gave me a copy. I read your book. I've, Thank you. I've read and reread and I've had a number of atheists and skeptics that have said, you know, oh, there's anecdotal. Oh, you know, my, my aunt, nobody knows when, nobody knows where mm-hmm. she was healed. No, you've got documentation yeah. of people that were goners. Yes. And, you know, it's funny because my publisher, they wanted the documentation – <clears throat> and I went through great lengths to get this stuff. I mean, 50 different people. It's like herding cats, you know, trying to get all this <laughs> stuff together, going to different medical places or whatever. And not all of them are medical miracles, but the ones that I could get um, that are medically uh, involved, I got a lot of them. And once I got them all with all the signatures and the, the you know, the releases and all, they were like, all right, great. And But they weren't going to publish it. I'm, I'm like, what do you mean? And they're like, no, that's just for us internally so we know it's true. I'm like, no, what about the reader? They need to know too. I found that, you know, if you're a true believer, you don't really need 
evidence. And if you're a true skeptic, no amount of evidence is going to be enough to convince you. But if you're on the fence, if you're open-minded, I think the medical documentation is going to go a long way to point you to you know, belief in God and Jesus and that this stuff is real. So I fought pretty hard, and they finally allowed me to put it into an appendix in the back of the book. Um, so for those people who need more information or want to look at the stuff, they can actually see the x-rays and the, the scans and the medical reports. Well, that, that may be the most important part of the book, and I say that <laughs> truthfully because – you hear you hear things like this as pastor. You hear, also you hear. Well, why? And I'm going to bring it up. Well, he healed them. What about me? Right. And uh, I haven't got that answer yet. I, I think that answer is going to be in heaven. Why uh, Joe was healed and Tom was not healed? Right. They had the same amount of faith. They had the same thing. They went through the same process. And and so I, I came to this a long time ago, and I want to just throw it to you and see sure it's god's business right it's god's business yeah. to do what he wants to and i was talking to some medical doctors and they said you know it's not us that do the healing even in surgery and medicine therapy it's god that does the healing he chooses the instrument by which it happens or does not happen that's right is that is yeah that i mean taking it too far is that no, I mean, um, I think your point is very valid. And, you know, I struggled with survivor's guilt, you know, after I came through cancer. I mean, I, how come God was merciful to me and healed me and maybe not someone else who was just as deserving? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I don't really have the answer to that other than to say I think God had uh, more work for me to do here. And bringing about this divine intervention ministry I think was part of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, in a macro sense, I know that we all suffer and we all go through things because of sin. Why it happens to one person and not the other on a micro level, I don't know. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I remember being in my hospital bed, literally suffocating to death. This tumor was so big, it was crushing my pulmonary artery. I wasn't getting enough oxygen. And it was about 2 in the morning, and I'm just, I'm literally dying. And I said, you know, I just looked up to the ceiling. I said, God, I know I'm your child. If you want to take me, I'll go with you. Because the Bible says that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And I believe that. Amen. But I said, Lord, if you want to heal me and let me live, I will just do my best to continue to point people to you and to tell them about your goodness and your grace and your love, your mercy and your power. And that was a real turning point for me, a breaking point. Amen. You know, I just I, I couldn't fix myself. I couldn't do anything. I was paralyzed, and I just had to give it all to him. Mm. And um, he saw fit to keep me around a little longer. I'm glad he did. Thank you. Amen. Praise God. Uh, the book is Divine Intervention. The author, Daniel Fazina, he's our guest on Exploring the Word right now. Uh, for those just tuning in, uh, this book will inspire you. I think this book might motivate you, uh, readers, to to get a bigger view of God. Mm. Because uh, our God is a big God. Our God is sovereign. Um, he works how he chooses to work. But... Um, Daniel, do do you feel like it's time in the American church that we remember our God does intervene, our God does answer prayer, and our God does do miracles? Absolutely. It's so important, I think, um, because there's so much bad news out there and there's so much weight of oppression on our people. And it's just you need positive stories like this because everyone is suffering. If you, you know, if you're born in this world, you're going to suffer. It's just the nature, the sin nature of the fallen world that we live in. But we have to realize that God does work, and he does answer prayer, and he does heal, and Mm -hmm. he does transform lives. You know, there's there's people in there who's, you know, 
there's former PLO terrorists, you know, who got saved. And, like, you know, there's former Hindu priests who gave their life to the Lord when, they, oh, yeah. you know, he revealed himself to them. Uh, there's murderers who've been transformed. I mean, these are modern-day stories, stuff you might read about in the Bible, but they're still happening today. People who are paralyzed, you know, regaining their abilities and, um, you know, so you, you may read about it in the Bible, but and interestingly— one of the reasons I wrote the book is because I had a non-believing friend when I returned to work. You know, I was telling him about what I went through. He said, "Well, Daniel, I don't really believe in miracles because if the, the the miracles that are in the Bible are actually true, they'd still be happening today. How come I've never seen one?" And that was a great point. I'm like, "You know what? Maybe you're just not traveling in the right circles or whatever." But that was the, one of the big impetuses that made me want to write this book to give to the skeptics or the non-believers say, hey, it is still happening today. Even in the Bible, there's pockets of miracles. Right. All the prophets, it doesn't show all the prophets in the Old Testament doing miracles. But you look at Elijah and Elisha, bam, Mm -hmm. one right after another. And then you look in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, you'll see miracles, but they seem to come in groups, if you will. Mm. And I haven't figured all this out. As Alex and I say, we're just the reporters of what the Bible says. We're not necessarily figuring it all out. But God still heals today, and he's still at work today. But in the New Testament, there seems to be that cutting edge of miracles taking place as when where the gospel is introduced. Mm. We would call it in pioneer areas sure. where maybe the Bible has not been translated into that language and the missionaries are there right. and they don't have the word of God in their language to show forth the power of God. Mm-hmm. So God, because the the whole purpose of God is for him to get glory. And the way he gets glory is by people being saved and following him. Yes. And so these pockets, and, and that's the best way that I've learned to try to understand it. Not saying that I have completely, much less explain it. But those pockets seems to be, of uh, they, they happen all the time now. Miracles happen. But the pockets, the group, it seems to happen in that cutting edge area where God is intervening in a, in a, in a even in a society. Yeah. And I think America's, let me getting tell you, there. I think we've fallen. I think we're getting there where we're going to see God do some awesome miracles because our society seems to be drifting away from the knowledge of God. Mm-hmm. Well, I hope we do see more. And, I do too. Uh, I'm just very encouraged. Uh, to know that he's still moving the world. Well, you're encouraging us by sharing Thank this. You. How, how do you advise people to pray? Uh, maybe somebody even listening now, Daniel, has uh, just gotten a, a bad diagnosis, or maybe they're in a circumstance that just seems um, hopeless. When someone needs God to intervene, because we're talking about your book, Divine Intervention, how do you begin to pray for that? Well, like when I go into like a hospital, let's say, and I know that someone is sick and dying <clears throat> or, you know, just really, really ill, I I ask them, you know, what do you want? You know, how can I pray for you? Because I don't want to force my will on them. I don't want to assume that they want to get healed. Sometimes people, you know, they just, they're just tired. They want to go home to be with the Lord, or maybe they want to pray for peace for their family that are dealing with this. So I ask them, you know, how can I pray for you? But if you need God to intervene, I would say, um, a place of brokenness is not a, necessarily a bad place to be. And pl- pray for God's will. Pray for your healing, but pr- trust God and know that no matter which way it goes, he's got you covered. Romans eight twenty eight says, All things work together for the good of those who love the Lord and who are the called according to his purpose. 
So it doesn't say that everything that happens will be good, but it will work together for good. And Amen. sometimes, you know, we're healed in this life, and sometimes we're healed on the other side when God takes us home. Amen. Amen. When I, I, I'm a pastor, been pastor for many years, but my wife's grandmother was in the hospital, and she was elderly, but her mind was working and everything, so I was visiting her, and she was saying, man, pray, I'm ready to go home. So anyway, I prayed that she would get well and her physical health. And I found out later that's not the home she was talking about. Mm-hmm. She was ready to go home so to, to heaven to be with a heavenly father. Right. So what you just said really struck a note, I think, with a lot of people. When you go into these people, they're hurting, they're in the hospital, they're in the nursing homes, they're in the emergency room, and you ask them, what, what are you praying for? What do you want? Yeah. I, I think that would help us to know how to direct our prayers more effectively. Would you agree? I, I would agree. And I had this hit home, you know, just in September because my dad was diagnosed with cancer. Uh, he'd always been very healthy, very active. He was a very young, 89 years old. And um, he's a guy who's in the gym every day, swimming in the pool every day. <clears throat> and suddenly he just started losing his energy. And they found this uh, esophageal tumor. And he was already stage four. And the doctors weren't giving him any hope. Uh, you know, even with chemo, and um, it was heartbreaking for me to see him like that, and I desperately wanted him <clears throat> to be healed, and he was a very godly man, and he just loved Jesus. I mean, his whole goal in life was to get to heaven, and I remember being in the hospital with him and just asking, Dad, what is it that you want, you know? He said, I just want to go home and die in peace, yeah. mm-hmm. and uh, I had to respect that, yeah. and um and brought him home, and we did hospice for a week, and he was gone. And he, he's finally rejoicing in heaven with his <laughs> heavenly Father. Amen. Real healing took place. Yeah. I mean, that's the whole idea. Real healing yeah. is, is, you know, the healing that you have is temporary. Right. You catch what I'm saying? Yeah. Oh, yeah. The healing we receive for the believer at death is eternal. No more tears, no more disease, no more death. That's right. You know, Hallelujah. I, I tell people, you know, God healed me of cancer, but I'm eventually going to die of something else. Yeah. The healing itself, the miracle itself, is not, it's not about the miracle. It's about pointing people to the God of miracles. Yes. So if you can trust in the Lord, no matter what you're going through, you're going to be okay, whether you're healed in this life or the next. Amen. Well, all Christians, all true Christians, believe in at least one miracle, the miracle of salvation, Amen. the miracle of conversion. You remember that little song, it took a miracle to put the stars in space, but, but the greatest miracle of all? When he saved, saved my, my soul, soul, cleansed, and, and made, made me, me whole. whole. Amen. Well, <laughs> I predict uh, Daniel Fazina's book is going to expand your view of what God might do in this world. Brother, Thank thanks you. for being with us, and uh, thanks for this wonderful book. Give your website you. one more time. DivineInterventionRadio.com, and incidentally, the audiobook version just came out on Audible, so you can hear 32 different narrators for the 50 different stories. Some of the people narrated their own story, uh, including my dad, who lives on through his uh, through this book. God bless you, Daniel. Daniel so much. It's good for me to meet you as well. Thank you, Bert. Thank you. Oh, well, what an exciting Amen. show. Way exciting. to go, Alex. You, you invited some good guests today. Well, Thank you, brother. I've got the privilege of hosting the Hamilton Corner an hour from now, and then you and I will be back on Exploring the Word tomorrow. So, folks, pray for National Religious Broadcasters. And, Bert, we always say, tell somebody about American Family Radio, but most of all, tell everybody about Jesus.
The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.